0: All right, so who needs a Bible? This is, we just raise your hand, because we have them. They'll bring them right to you. We want you looking with me in God's Word. We believe the Bible is God's inspired Word, and uh, it teaches us how to live. It's our guide for faith and practice, and I want you to be able to have one. You can keep it if you want to, but to be reading God's Word, studying God's Word, and saying, how do we apply it in our lives? So I have had a couple of people ask me, say, why during the message do you end up having all these pictures of different divers? I said, well, it actually has to do with a the theme, all in. See, the guy's hanging over the water. He's, he's not in yet, but he's kind of in a committed position, isn't he? They said, oh, I see it. So this is the last day we're going to show those. So in case you hadn't quite figured it out yet, I'm, I'm kind of giving it away, I guess. But um, <clears throat> this series has been over the little section in the Bible of Matthew chapters 10 through 13, some into 14, where Jesus has been doing miracles. Now, we believe that Jesus... Of course, wasn't just a, a wonderful person born in Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth. We believe that he is actually God come in human flesh, and uh, he's claimed that for himself. And so if you had a teacher in school that you really admired, and they could do miracles, and they said to you, you know, I'm good, and you said, yes, you are, and you said, I'm smart, and they, you said, yes, you are, and they said, I'm God, you'd have to just dis- make a decision, wouldn't you? They're either crazy or they really are. And uh, that's with Jesus. Every person has to come to the point of deciding, is Jesus who He claimed He was? Because He claimed to be God. He didn't leave you middle road to say, well, He's just good and He's real smart. And um, so Jesus has started His ministry, and He's been teaching people in parables, which is a, a little story with a point. And that's... Uh, he, he's and he also has been doing lots of miracles and he's been announcing the kingdom of God is come near you so get ready, get ready to meet God face to face and uh, as his uh, story has been gaining momentum, if you didn't know the rest of the story you'd think wow if you did a miracle if you gave somebody sight when they hadn't had sight, if you fed a crowd of 5,000 people with one little boy's lunch if you raised somebody who's in a wheelchair suddenly you helped them raise up and they're running a marathon, uh, you know if, if somebody couldn't hear and suddenly they they can hear. If there's somebody who was dead and you spoke and they sat up in their coffin, you'd, you'd begin to get attention from people saying, this person is tapped into power like nobody else. Maybe they have God's power working in and through them. And if you didn't know the story, you would think that between that and His teaching that's gathering thousands of people to hear Him that people would be getting excited and getting on board with him and saying, boy, this is the guy. I've got to live for him. I've got to listen to him. I've got to turn to God because that's what he's claiming. I want his power working in my life. Well, we wish that was the case. But see, God gives people free choice. He doesn't twist their arm. He doesn't force them to believe or, or to respond in a certain way. And sometimes what people choose will defy logic, will defy gravity, will defy faith, will fly into the face of God. It makes no sense whatever. And sometimes disaster results because they didn't really think it through. I mean, watch these guys. Okay, what's going to happen, do you suppose? That had to hurt. Okay. Where are we headed? <laughs> Where do you suppose it's headed? Huh? Yeah. Okay. See, when God created man and woman, he gave us free choice (laughs) as a gift. Nobody's a robot that has to love God or be in a relationship with God. People can choose. And it's absolutely incredible what people will do, what they will say, the lengths they will go to to not have to admit that God is God or that God has authority over their lives. And they refuse to submit themselves to God's authority and to live God's way. And in this story that we're looking at today, Jesus has been doing all this teaching and doing all these miracles, and then finally, maybe it was Thanksgiving week, I don't know, he, he decided to go gather with His family of origin. So if you look in Matthew 13, I'm starting verse 53. And it says, When Jesus had finished these parables, He went away from there, and coming to His hometown, He taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and say, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? He's this carpenter's son, Right? His mother is Mary, right? His brothers are James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, right? And his sisters are here with us, right? And where did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. I mean, this is incredible. These people, I mean, here, Jesus, I know in his day, Nazareth was a sleepy little two-horse town, you know, but this just defies logic. This guy has come out of nowhere Nazareth and has healed people's illnesses and conditions. He has raised people from the dead. He's given sight to the blind. He's cast out demons. He's empowered the lame to walk. He has fed thousands with a little boy's lunch. He's spoken God's word with authority, and he, he's actually told this crowd in Nazareth before he started his ministry, here's what I'm going to go do. That part was recorded in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, where he's quoting Isaiah, and he's speaking in their worship time, and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, now he returns home. And they could have said, wow, he told us he was going to do all that stuff and he went and did it. He has put Nazareth on the map. Everybody will know where Nazareth is from now on because it's Jesus of Nazareth. You don't know anybody else from Nazareth, do you? Does anybody here know the name of anybody else from Nazareth? Nazareth. Yeah, I didn't think so. It's just, I mean, it's Jesus' town. Jesus of Nazareth. Nobody ever famous before or since has come from Nazareth. I mean, and they could have said, Lord, look at us. We're, our family's just like his family. His dad's a working man. His mom's caring for a litter of kids. We know the, all them, their names. They're playing out in the dirt in the street with our kids. In fact, he sat next to my kid in school for a year. How did he get so smart? He sure was whipping up on those Pharisees out there in his travels. Oh, we heard about that back here in the market. Where do you get the power to heal people from and give sight to the blind? We don't know. Only God can do that. That is God's power. We thought Jesus was from Nazareth, but he's claiming to be God. We should worship him. He's our champion. Now, that should have been their response. But what we end up seeing is that miracles are not enough. God's word is not enough. You have miracles and you have God's word. It's basically God is giving free choice as a gift and he wants a partnership with people. And God is willing and he's given miracles and he's given his word and he's waiting. And he's waiting for you to say, I've got a free choice and I'm gonna choose to be a partner with God. And he's not gonna coerce you. Now, there's consequences either way, but he's not going to coerce you. You can believe or not believe, to reject logic and truth and miracles and go your own headstrong way or to recognize who God is and Jesus is and to realize and then respond in faith and submit yourself to the Lordship of Christ. Both paths are available to every person. And you can only choose one. And they don't both lead the same place. They end in different places. So to reject Jesus is to leave yourself in charge of your life and make no changes. And although people don't realize, that is heading you on the path to destruction. And to respond to Jesus and to respect him is to give yourself over and say, Jesus, you be in charge of my life. And start thinking, what would Jesus want me to think or to say or to do? And this may cause some major thinking changes in your life. So you're not thinking, what do I want? It's all about me. You're thinking, what would Jesus Christ want in my life today? That path is uphill, and it's costly, and it can be painful, and it may bring you rejection in the world or ridicule or even worse, but in the end, that path leads to eternal life in heaven, in the presence of Jesus, where there is light and life and joy and peace. And fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ have all chosen this path, These people of Nazareth have been afforded a front row seat to the greatest drama in all of human history, that God came into this world and became a person, a little person, and he grew up and he moved into their town as a boy and he went to their school and he helped uh, with his dad with some of the chores and he traveled to Jerusalem on pilgrimages with them. He grew up and then one day he declares his intentions in their worship service that he is the fulfillment of the scriptures as a prophet. And that irked him. But when he went on to say, you know what, and God's gonna do a work in this world that's so big, he's gonna bless whoever he chooses to bless, not just Jewish people. He's blessed this one and this one and this one and this one. He's blessed, and gonna bless the entire world. Well, that really irritated him that pushed him over the edge and they attacked jesus and so he left town and he left nazareth behind his family was still in nazareth so that's kind of awkward because you walk down the street and you see one of these brothers or his mom what do you say because the power brokers in nazareth had tried to kill him what do you do with i mean there's a tension what do you do with jesus Because everybody down at Capernaum is gaga over him. they crowd's gathered to hear him speak, watching the miracles happen, cheering him on. And um, here in Nazareth, there's this tension. What do you do with Jesus? What do you do? And now he comes back home, and so that kind of brings the tension to a head. I mean, how can he talk like that? And who does he think he is? And does he think he's better than the rest of us? And I just can't believe he said that. Ouch. I mean, wait till I tell the rabbi that one. And he has managed to offend just about everybody today, at least everybody whose opinion matters. And it says in verse 57, they took offense at him. Now, I don't know if everybody took offense at him, but the opinion makers did. The influencers did. And the rest probably followed like sheep. And it cost them something to follow Jesus. And there's no record of anybody in Nazareth going, wait a minute, wait a minute. I believe that Jesus is God, and I'm going to follow Him, not one person. So it would have cost them tremendously. They would have gotten kicked out just like Jesus did. You know, it didn't cost me much to follow Jesus. My dad was the preacher. My mom was the organist. I sat with Mrs. Lincoln Church. And so I, the influencers in, in my life were cheering me on as I invited Christ into my life. Now, you realize later that if you're going to follow Him as an adult, if you're going to put Him in charge of your life and in, part, in charge of your thinking, and your decision-making, there is going to be a cost. There are people who are going to oppose you, and, and yet each person has to make that personal decision, am I going to walk with Christ and the, the way that leads to life, or am I going to go my own way? And there are other people who had to swim upstream against a strong current of opposition and rejection to say yes to Christ, and instantly it cost them a great deal. And there seem to be more and more people in this group, even now in America, where becoming a Christian is not applauded and encouraged, how it always has been, how it used to be. So in Nazareth that day, there's no account of anybody saying, count me in. I think Jesus is genuinely God. And I think Jesus was genuinely himself disappointed that day. And he went on to say to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and in his own household. That says he didn't do mighty, many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now, it's interesting he brought up a prophet because he's basically saying, I am a prophet. Last week, Dr. Sean McDowell spoke, which, by the way, I thought he did a great job bringing us God's Word, and he pointed out how Jesus had revealed himself to people even when they weren't asking him, even when they weren't listening. He had said, in, for instance, in chapter 12, that he said, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Or in verse 41, he said, I, He was greater than Jonah, who survived three, three uh, days and nights in the belly of a big fish and lived to tell about it. He said he was greater than Solomon, who was the king when Israel was in all its glory. And here now, Jesus is basically admitting to being a prophet. And he's not being honored in his own hometown or in his own household or in his own family. And so... His family must have got caught in the crossfire, but it's it's amazing because they've gone 400 years in Israel without a prophet showing up until about 30 years before this event. And then when the prophet uh, or the priest, uh, Zechariah, is in the temple, an angel showed up and talked to him and said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife is going to have a son. You give him the name John. And they were grandparents' age. They were well beyond the age of bearing children. And so this was a miracle, and... So then about 30 years go by and John the Baptist shows up out in the wilderness preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And these people of Nazareth, it's hard to figure them out. They basically adopted the attitude, what have you done for me lately? What have you done for us today? Your miracles aren't enough. Your credentials aren't enough. And God is doing a great work right before their very eyes and they have eyes but they don't see and they have ears but they don't hear. They all went to church together that day to hear Jesus speak, but they hadn't prepared their hearts for any word from God to penetrate their thoughts. They're not open to what God is trying to tell them. Now, when you look at the prophets, which Jesus is claiming here to be one of the prophets, you have a pattern that repeats itself over and over. A prophet was somebody who was called by God to a particular life, given a particular job, God showed up to Moses at the time he was 80 years old. He felt like a failure in his life, and he's hiding out on the desert, and God shows up in a burning bush and says to him, I'm sending you back to Egypt. Go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses goes, I don't want that job. He says, no, no, I'm not really asking you. I'm telling you. You're going to go do this. He goes, no, no, I can't t- t- talk. He says, I, who made your mouth? I'll take care of that. He says, well, please send somebody else. But eventually Moses got there and did the work that God called him to do. And later in Deuteronomy 18, he said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. This is a prophetic statement by Moses of the coming Christ. 1,500 years later. Or there was the prophet Samuel. His mom had gone to church and prayed, God, I, I can't bear any children. Would you please give me a son? I will give him to you for his whole life. And God did. His name was Samuel. And when he was weaned, so he's what? At the oldest, three, four, or five years old. She brings him and gives him to the priest Eli at the tabernacle. And God shows up to him almost immediately. He's hardly settled in to his new home. His mom's gone home. And the Lord shows up and calls his name. And Samuel jumps out of bed and runs to Eli. And Eli said, it wasn't me. It was, and on the third time that happened, he said... Just say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. And in 1 Samuel 3, it says, The Lord came and stood, calling as at other times. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. And then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. God was going to bring judgment on Eli and his family because Eli had not corrected his grown sons who were sinning in the tabernacle. And Eli hadn't spoken up to his adult sons to say, what you're doing is not right. And so God was announcing he was punishing the priest Eli because of Eli's son's sins that Eli had ignored. And Samuel at, what, five years old is the messenger that God uses. Or Isaiah, who was, went to the temple... In a time of crisis, the king had died. He had been king for 55 years. And so basically, most people alive didn't know anybody else. And he went to pray, and he's praying, and God showed up. And he goes, whoa, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm, I'm, there's no hope for me here. And God purified his lips, and then he said, in, in Isaiah 6, it says, I heard the voice of the Lord say, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I heard myself saying, here am I, send me. He said, go and tell this people, basically, the punishment is coming because of how they've been living. Or Jeremiah, who God called at a time that the nation was about to be rotted from within by wickedness and overtaken from without by enemies in Babylon. And in Jeremiah 1, it says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before uh, you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you to a pro- as a prophet to the nations. And then I said, Lord... I don't know how to speak. I'm just a boy. And the Lord said to me, don't say I'm just a youth for you're going to go to who I tell you to go to. You're going to tell them what I tell you to say. And don't be afraid of them for I will deliver you, declares the Lord. In other words, don't be afraid of because here's what's going to happen. You're going to tell them what I want them to hear. They don't want to hear it. So they will beat on the messenger because they don't like the message. But never mind. I'll rescue you. I will take care of you. And that's the pattern over and over that the prophets are called by God, given a message that's hard to hear, it's not received well, and they often were rejected or died violent deaths. And Jesus came and said, I'm a prophet. I'm not honored in my own hometown or in my own house. In fact, later Jesus was condemning the religious leaders in Matthew 23, and he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, well, if we had lived in our Father's day, we wouldn't have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. While, by the way, they're doing that, getting ready to do that with John and with Jesus. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your fathers, you serpents, You brood of vipers, who are you to escape being sacrificed to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth. See, Jesus is rejected by the very people who should have been cheering for him. And I think it broke his heart. And so he moved away from Nazareth to continue his ministry, saying, who wants to respond to God in faith and continue to put out the truth? You can ignore the truth. But Jesus was called by God since before he was born, set aside to speak for God. He brought a message, repent for the kingdom is near, and he was rejected. John the Baptist had the same story, that he was called by God, given a hard message, rejected by the people, found himself in prison. Jesus' homecoming resulted in his rejection in Nazareth. John the Baptist's homecoming resulted in his death. In Matthew 14, it says, At the time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. The king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother, and his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And then they went, and they told Jesus. Look at the contrast for a minute with me between these two men, Herod and John. Now, of course, you know there's five different people in the Bible named Herod. The first one was called Herod the Great, he died in 4 B.C. He's the one who put the babies to death in Bethlehem trying to kill the coming king. This is one of his sons. After he died, he had three sons and a sister that all raced to Rome to say, who's going to be the next leader? And in Rome, they chose all four. So they gave each one a quarter of the kingdom. So that's why he's called a tetrarch, a quarter king. And, uh, but he also adopted the name Herod. So Herod was born the son of a king in Jerusalem, And he lived a life of privilege and wealth. John was born the son of a priest, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and uh, announced by an angel. He's marked by God as chosen by God and for special service. When his parents died, which probably happened when he was a, a boy because they were so much older, he moved out into the desert, scraping by in the extremes of heat and cold and hunger and thirst and stress survival conditions. Herod spent his life in palaces with slaves waiting on him and collecting taxes and partying. John spent his life in the desert, probably living alone, probably a very lonely life, studying God's Word, calling on people to repent. Herod had the attitude, I want it, I see it, I take it, it's mine, including even his brother's wife, in an open public flaunting of marriage the way God intended it to be. John lived by God's word. He had no wife. He had no children. He had no home. He had no job. He had no security. He's just publicly calling out sinners to repent and to live by God's law, including Herod. Herod put John in prison to silence him because he was so popular with the people. John waited in prison wondering Has my life been well lived? Herod partied it up for his birthday, overdrank, overdid, overpromised to the dancing maiden, overcommitted, and although he regretted it, he commanded John's death sentence, behead him. John died in prison by beheading, leaving nothing of this world's goods behind. His life had been like an arrow, no frills, pointed by God, fired in one direction, one shot, and done." Herod actually went on to meet Jesus. He'd wanted to do that. It says in Luke 23, when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. This is the trip that Jesus went to Jerusalem. Jesus has been arrested, and then he's put in front of Herod for a decision. Herod was very glad to see Jesus because he'd long desired to see him because he'd heard about him. He was hoping to see some miracles. He wanted Jesus to be an entertainer. Hey, Jesus, show me a miracle. Do something that nobody else could do right here in front of me. I'm ready. And nothing happened. So he questioned him at some length, but Jesus made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt, and they mocked him. They arrayed him in splendid clothing, beat him up, and sent him back to Pilate. Now Herod had his chance. He met Jesus in person, not to hear the message to repent. He didn't come saying, Jesus, what are you going to tell me? You're the Lord of glory. Tell me what I need to do with my life. And the answer is yes in advance. No. No. He wanted to be entertained, and when that didn't happen, instead of worshiping Jesus, he mocked him publicly. Herod missed his moment. The day that John had died, you know, after John died, years went by, and there were political upheavals, and then Herod, you know, with his trophy wife Herodias, and she wasn't he, he didn't grab her to be his wife because of her intelligence. She came to him, and she said, you know, you're really more important than this kingdom lets on. You really should go to Rome and get a promotion. And so he followed her advice, and he went to Rome, and history books tell us that when he got there, it backfired, and he was, instead, his kingdom was taken away, and he was banished to exile in France, and, he, and Herodias both died there, and to stand before God in judgment then. Now, how do you think that went? Herod standing before Jesus in heaven. I mean, Herod, from start to finish, John the Baptist's ministry was in your kingdom, on your watch. Herod, Jesus' entire ministry of miracles and calling for people to get right with God was in your kingdom, on your watch. You did nothing. Herod, you didn't like what John said, so you put him in prison, even though you knew the people were convinced he was a prophet. Herod, you partied so hard, you made dizzy-headed promises that cost God's prophet his life in your prison, on your watch, at your command. Herod, you interviewed Jesus himself. You had the power of life and death over him for a moment, and you ended up mocking him and treating him with contempt and rejecting him and letting his murder continue. Herod... You made it clear you did not want to have a relationship with me. You did not want to bow before Jesus as your Lord. And heaven will only be filled with people who bow before Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So Herod, I don't have a place for you in my heaven. Sometimes the choices people make defy logic. They defy gravity. They defy faith. They fly into the face of God. They make no sense whatsoever, and disaster is the result. I'm guessing that Herod ended up in that group. See, on the other hand, you've got John. John has lived this life as a prophet. It was austere, harsh, and when he's beheaded, John didn't die. Oh, his body did, but his spirit stepped into the presence of God in heaven. He had done the job that God had created him to do. He had been a faithful witness. He had fulfilled all that God had for him. He was all in. And he heard God say, welcome home. Well done. Jesus even tells some of the story later where he says, God welcomes him by saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You know, all in, when you see the diver, he's already in a committed position. The real decision was made before this. All he can hope right now is to land well, you know, not end up in a belly flop, right? But before that, the anguish, the decision-making of, should we say yes? Shall we say no? No. Yes. Yes. I'm going to jump. You're going to jump. Shall we jump together? Or shall we hold hands? Ooh, it's a long way down there. I don't know if I want to do this. I mean, that's the hard part. That's where you show whether you really believe or not, whether you really trust. See, Herod trusted himself. It didn't work out all that well for him. The people, the Nazareth natives, they trusted their traditions. That didn't work. John the Baptist trusted in God even when it was difficult, even when it was painful, even when it left him all alone. What about you? I mean, today you have free choice. You could choose to bow before God and give him the pieces of your life and let him mold you into a a vessel that he can use, and ask him to be in charge, and he will. And you will be in for the ride of your life. It could take you places you would never have thought of, you would never choose to go. And if you do follow Jesus that way, someday you will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the Lord. See, today you have free choice, and your choice sets you on a path that leads somewhere. There's only two somewheres. There's heaven and there's hell. And you don't know how long you have to choose. So choose Jesus today. Go all in. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your word and for how people had choices and then the choices that they made and help us to see that today we have choices. And that to not choose you is disastrous. And to wait, to not decide is really deciding. We don't know how long we have. And so I pray that each person here will have settled in their mind, in their heart, that Jesus is God. And as such, I need to be on my knees before him, giving him my heart and my life and put him in charge. So give us the eyes to see, the ears to hear, and the courage to act and to do the right thing. Thank you that you have offered yourself to us as the best gift. Amen.